Mark chapter 4, 1 to 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Sometimes after a sermon in which I have had an absolutely wonderful time explaining little details of the text, my wife has gently asked me, and exactly what are we supposed to do with that? Reminding me that sermons should be practical. And not all of mine have been, I admit. But today, neither you nor Sandy will have any doubt about what I want to accomplish. Because I'm going to tell you right up front. And this is what I want to accomplish. I want to accomplish uh, to encourage all of us to pay even more attention to God's Word, the Bible, in 2018. Okay, is it clear? My purpose for this sermon? To get us to pay even more attention to the Bible in this coming year. And in order to do that, I've chosen the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower. Now, first of all, what is a parable? If you know anything about the Gospels, you know that Jesus teaches in parables. What's a parable? A parable is simply a comparison. A comparison between something that is known generally known from everyday life, and something that is unknown, and it is a like an extended simile. Often parables say, this is like that. 
And these two things, the unknown and the known, have something significant in common. At least one thing, sometimes a number of things. Specifically, Jesus' parables show how the kingdom of God is like certain things that we know from everyday life. Now, why did Jesus use parables? You often hear people say, well, Jesus used parables so that people could understand. These are just illustrations and it helped people understand. And that's partially true because they could relate to the things he was talking about. But if you look what he says in verse 12, he says, For those who are outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Interesting. He's saying he's using parables, and so he's something that's immediately accessible to the people and very understandable to the people, but also there's something opaque about it. There's something that that keeps them from understanding. There's there's a barrier there uh, because they don't have the secret in order to understand the parable. So it's a a twofold purpose in using parables. It's to reveal the kingdom of God, and at the same time, it's to conceal it at least for a time. But why conceal it, at least for a time? Well, Jesus had his time frame. Jesus had his plan. He was executing his plan, and he didn't want to just come and at the very beginning blurt out everything, so he taught in a semi-concealed way. But another thing parables do is that they put the burden on us. They throw it into our lap and they say, what are you going to do about this? Uh, What are you going to do with this this, uh, semi-puzzling, enigmatic, simple story that something seems to be missing? And he throws it back into our lap. And you see how he does that. Uh, When he began teaching, look at verse 2. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, verse 3, what's the first word? Listen, listen. And then he ends in verse 9, he tells the parable, and he says to them in verse 9, what? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what do the parables do? They, they throw it into the lap of the hearers and they force us to say, are, are we paying attention? Are we, are we trying to figure this out? Are we wrestling with what he said? Are we hearing well? Are we listening well? Now, this parable is is particularly interesting because it's a parable about parables. It's a parable about listening, and the parable is about listening. So there there are a number of different, very clever levels here because he's, he's actually doing what he is describing in the parable. So it's a parable about parables. He's, he's acting out the parable even as he's doing it. And that's why he says, if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to get the other parables, because this parable is a basic parable about listening, about hearing. Now, um, Jesus says, we need something in order to unlock the parables. Look at verse 10. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. So they didn't get it. Even his disciples, even the close ones, they didn't get it. They said, what's this mean? And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside, they don't have the secret yet. So he says, you all have the secret to unlock the parables. What was the secret? Because if we don't get that secret, we won't get the parables. And the secret, ready? The secret is that the parables are about Jesus. And you say, duh, We already knew that. Of course they're about Jesus. You know that, though, because of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You know that because that's obvious, because they've showed us that. 
But think about it. Think about you're wandering along, you're fishing on the seashore, and a man casts out in his boat, and he tells you about a farmer who throws seed out, and then he leaves. He talks about what this seed does, and then he just leaves. Is it obvious to you that that parable is about Jesus? Is it obvious to you that the speaker is talking about himself? It's not. It's not ob- it wasn't obvious to them. It could not have been obvious to them. It wasn't even obvious to the twelve. That's why in private they said, tell us about this. And he says, you, you have the secret. Look at me, he's saying. You, you have the secret right in front of you. You want to understand the parables? They're about Jesus. That's the key to unlocking the parable. They're about Jesus and the kingdom that he came to bring to the world. But let me, let me extend that, because Jesus did extend that for us. Do you want to understand the Bible? Do you want to understand the Old Testament? Do you want to understand the New Testament? The answer is the same. Do you want to understand it? It's the same key to underlo- unlock the meaning of all the Bible. It's all about Jesus. Jesus Himself said that. If you go over to Luke, in Luke it's the next Gospel, and if you look at page 981, Luke chapter 24... This is after Jesus died, after Jesus rose from the dead, and He was walking along with a couple of disciples who were downcast because they were were saddened because they thought He was going to be the Messiah and He was going to redeem Israel, and He didn't because He died. But then there was this rumor about Him rising from the dead and Jesus, they didn't recognize Him, but He's walking along and He says to them in verse 44, Then He said to them, These are My words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So he's talking about the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. Let me ask you, were those in the Old Testament? Are those in the Old Testament or in the New Testament? The Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Where are they? Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written yet when he's talking here. So there is no New Testament yet. So he's talking about the Old Testament and he says, do you want to understand? He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and he says, do you want to understand the Scriptures? This is what they are about. They are about the fact that the Christ should suffer, should rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's what the whole Bible is about. The Old Testament's about that. The New Testament's about that. You want to understand the Scriptures, you need to understand the message of Jesus. That Jesus is the Christ. He's the Anointed One. He's the One who came. He's the One who lived the perfect life that humans are, are meant to live, but we fall short. He's the One who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, and He's the one who rose from the dead to conquer over the grave, and we can have forgiveness and life by believing in His name. You need to know that. That's the secret. In all your Bible reading, you need to be looking for how everything points to that. Now, let's go back to Mark, and let's talk about the parable. That's all sort of an introduction to parables. Now, what about this parable? There are various elements in this parable, but we need to understand something about farming practices of the day. What they did was, they sowed seed, and then they plowed it under. They sowed seed, and then they plowed it under. So they they threw the seed out, and then they came along with the plow to turn the seed under. Now, why is that important? 
It's important for two reasons. One is because there was a, a time when the seed was sitting on the surface. Between sowing and plowing, the seed was visible and exposed. But also, the second thing that's important is this. If they throw the seed out and then they plow, it's not obvious what kind of soil it is until the plowing takes place. You see, it's thrown out there and the soil may look very much alike in different places, but not until you plow and put the seed under or try to put it under do you discover what kind of soil it is. And then he describes these four kinds of soil. Verse 4, what happened with the seed? Well, it was on hard ground. And between sowing and plowing, uh, it disappeared. The birds of heaven came. They said, lunch, this is great. They ate the seed. It produced no fruit. That's the first one, verse 4. Second one, verse 5. Well, it was plowed under, and it began to grow, and it began to grow up, but it couldn't grow down because it was very shallow soil. So it had no root. It just grew up, but it couldn't grow down. And so then... Hot sun comes out, Middle Eastern sun, not much rain. What happens to that one? It withers, dries up. Same result. First seed doesn't produce any fruit. Second seed, it doesn't produce any fruit either. Third seed, well, it's plowed under, has enough soil, it begins to develop, it begins to grow up, and it begins to grow down. Everything's looking good, isn't it? But in that soil, there were other seeds. And I'm sure you found this whenever you have tried to plant a garden. What else is there? Weeds. And these weeds, you know how weeds are. Weeds seem to be stronger than any other sort of plant that you want to grow. And these weeds came in, thorny weeds, and they just choked the plant out. And so even though it had depth of soil, even though it began to grow, it didn't produce any fruit either. So we have three different types of soil the exact same result. No fruit whatsoever. And then you have the final one, which is abundant fruitfulness. So one seed. It says this one seed produces 30 times as much, 60 times as much, or even 100 times as much. Well, that's the parable. And that's all the people got. They didn't get any more than that. But we get the rest of it. Because the disciples said, Jesus, help us out here. Tell us about this parable. What's it mean? Well, Jesus goes and tells them in verses 14 to 20. And I want you to see something in verse 14. He says, the sower sows the word. And we now know, because we have the secret, who's the sower? Jesus. But did he tell them that? No. He didn't identify himself as the sower. He still left them to figure out that. He said... The sower sows the Word. So he does say what the seed refers to. It refers to the Word of God, but he doesn't identify the sower yet because he's still calling them to, to, to see who the sower is. What, what is this parable all about? This is the secret that they and we need to identify. And then he says these four seeds, I'm sorry, these four soils represent four kinds of hearers. When the Word of God goes out, there are four kinds of hearers of the Word of God. The first are those that it goes in one ear and out the other. Absolutely no result. It just goes in and out. It doesn't penetrate at all. The second are those who like what they hear. They think this sounds really great at the beginning. And they respond and say, this is great. This is wonderful. This is what I want. I'm all in. 
But they don't last very long because because things get difficult. It mentions persecution. It mentions tribulation here. They didn't count on believing being so difficult and the consequences being so difficult. And so, so they fall away immediately, produce no fruit. And the third are those who receive it. They look like they're starting to grow, but then they get concerned about money. They get concerned about riches and pursuing wealth. And, and those things come in and they, and they choke out whatever beginning there was to the Word, and so they don't produce any fruit either. And then the fourth are those who hear the Word, they receive the Word, they put it into practice in their lives, and it bears much fruit. Now, Jesus did not say what the fruit was. He didn't describe that. But elsewhere, the Bible tells us what the fruit is. Let's look at a couple of texts to figure out what kind of fruit is evidence of good soil. If you look at Galatians, it's on page 1078, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it's the fruit. And Paul, the Apostle Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control. So, this is the fruit of character. This is the fruit of, of personal character development. What, what will the Word of God, when received, when believed, when put in practice, what will it produce in our lives? Well, it will produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Um, that's the first kind of fruit that, that, that the Word of God produces. But the second kind is numerical growth, multiplication of believers. If you look one, uh, two books over to Colossians on page 1086, Paul uses the same sort of language here, 1086, Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. Look at what Paul's doing here. He says, we, we always give thanks, Colossians 1.3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. So he mentions that the Word of God bears fruit and it also multiplies, it increases. So there are two types of fruit that the Word of God produces when it's believed, received, and practiced. It produces the fruit in our lives of character development, but it also produces more Christians. It produces the multiplication. It brings more people in to faith in Christ. What do we want to have in our church? What do we want to have in our lives? We want to have these two types of fruit. We want to have increasing fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Who would like to have more joy in 2018? Anybody here? Yeah. How about more self-control? Anybody in? How about more, uh, more gentleness? How about more kindness in your life? What about more love? Patience? How about patience? We all need a good dose of that, right? These are, these are aspects of the fruit of the Spirit that we all need in our lives. We need to grow in these. But we also need to grow 
by multiplying, by bringing more people in. And these two types of growth actually reinforce each other. And it's difficult to have one without the other. Why? Because we go out and we tell people, hey, we have the best news in the world. And then they look at our lives and they see us as angry, anxious, selfish, self-absorbed, money-grubbing people. And what are they going to say about the message we preach? They're going to say, thanks, but no thanks. I can find that anywhere. But if they look at our lives, and, and of course they don't see perfection, they see struggling, they see growth, but they see growth. Uh, people growing in love, growing in joy, growing in peace, growing in patience, growing in kindness, growing in gentleness. They'll say, I'm not seeing that anywhere else. Tell me more about this message that you're preaching to me. But, but also, numerical growth tends also to produce character growth. How's that work? Well, let's say you have a church that you have people that have been around for a while and settled into their, their Christian lives and things seem to be going fine, just sort of bumping along, and then you have new people come in. Now, ours is a new church, so we're not in that situation. Everybody's new here. But you have new people, new to the gospel, and they're beginning to discover it, discover it, and they're all excited, and things began to change in their lives. And the older Christians look at them and say, I once was that excited about the gospel. I once saw those kind of changes in my life. I once saw that sort of development of the Word of God in me that I'm seeing in this new believer, and I want that as well. Do you see how these two types of growth reinforce each other? Growth in character, growth in the fruit of the Spirit, and numerical growth in the, in the extension of the kingdom of God. Now, in Jesus' day, and throughout most of history, by the way, the only way to hear the Word of God was to hear the Word of God. That is to say, you couldn't read it because you didn't have a copy of it. The only way you could hear the Word of God for most of human history was to hear someone else who had the great privilege of having at least a piece of it read it out loud and explain it. And so when Jesus described hearing here, that was their only, only access to the Word of God. That was the only way they could get to it. They didn't have their own copies. They had to hear it in order to have it. That was it. Now we are in a very different situation, aren't we? Since the invention of the printing press and then from there other inventions, we are swamped, at least in the West, with access to the Bible, the Word of God. We have it everywhere. We have multiple copies, and we talk about, well, which version do you prefer? We have the option of scores of versions in our own languages. And we have it on our our mobile devices, we have it on the radio, we have it on the TV, we have it all over the internet, we have sermons, we have lectures, we have churches, we have seminaries, we have Bible colleges, we have Christian schools. We, We are swamped with access to the Word of God. But I wonder... I wonder what effect that has on us. I wonder if, if the, the access to it, the availability of it, everywhere we turn, makes it seem less precious to us. It's something that we can take or we can leave. We can, we can access it whenever it's convenient for us because, after all, it's always there. I saw a video on YouTube, I guess it was, that somebody must have forwarded to me, of Chinese 
Christians. And I don't know where they were in China, big country, some places are very remote and they don't have access to many things. Other places are more advanced than our cities. But this must have been a remote place. But this was a group of Christians. And this group of Christians was, for the first time, receiving a shipment of Bibles. And the reaction was fascinating to watch. They, they brought the box in and they set it in the middle and they were gathered around anxiously and then they opened it. And there was almost a stampede. They almost forgot themselves. They almost forgot that they're Christians and they should be kind and gentle and let others go before them. And you could see this, this almost panic set in. But then they, they caught themselves and, and, and they allowed others to get in and, and one by one they were able to, to get their own their own copy of the Bible in their language. And they began to kiss it, and they began to hug it, and they began to weep, and they began to pray. And it was so refreshing for me to see Christians that understood the value and the preciousness of the Word of God that was so scarce for them and it's so abundant for us. I would recommend taking advantage of all the opportunities you can to hear, study, and read the Word of God, but I want to focus on some concrete opportunities that we have in our church situation. And the first one is very simple, and it's what we've been encouraging over these past weeks and encouraging today. Let's read it. Let's read it daily for ourselves and in our families. Let's let's start there. Let's let's feed ourselves. We have our own copies. Let's let's take advantage of that and read the Bible ourselves. You know about our New Testament reading program. And please, please, if you don't have your own program that you're already planning on doing for the new year, then, then jump in on this one tomorrow and let's start together. That way during the year, we can talk with each other. We can say, what did you think of Mark 5? I have a question about that. Or, or in, in Matthew chapter 3, there was something that's so encouraging and I want to encourage you with that today so we can encourage each other as we read together throughout the year. But let me encourage also the heads of households, moms and dads, that you would teach your children the Word of God. That you would read it to them. I was at... uh, I was actually teaching a class and right after class, Sandy texted me and says, said to me, she was just down the street at a restaurant, she said, hey... um, an old friend of yours just came into the restaurant. He's a pastor and he wants to see you. Can you run over here? And I just finished my class and so I ran over there. And this is a man, he's older than I am. He's a father of eight actually and a grandfather. And he was here in in our churches and he's moved on, but he just happened to be visiting. And I I wanted to see him because I hadn't seen him in a few years. And so we stood in front of the restaurant. He didn't have much time. and, And he talked to me about his life And he mentioned in passing that one of his sons had died of cancer. And then he moved on, but but I I went back to that and I said, I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm so sorry that that one of your sons died. 
how are you? Are you okay? What happened? And then he, a little bit reluctantly, because of course it was painful, but he, he began to open up to me a little bit about what happened with his son. And he said that his son, like all of his children, had grown up in the faith, but this son had had a terrible experience, a devastating experience in the church, and walked away from the faith for 18 years. But then a couple years before he got cancer, he came back to the Word, came back to the faith, and came back to believing and following Jesus Christ. And then he got cancer. And as he was becoming weaker and weaker, he was becoming more and more immobilized, and he couldn't move, and he couldn't get out of bed, and he couldn't do many things. And then this pastor friend of mine told me a story. He went back and he said, you know, as a dad and as a Christian, I always wanted to, to, to read the Word of God to my family every day. And so I said to my family, we're not going to leave. And you can imagine, eight kids. We're not going to leave the house in the morning until we have the Word of God. But he said, things got crazy. And we all know how that is, even with smaller families. Things got crazy and, and, and they were rushing to try to get somewhere and he would... Sometimes say, okay, family, I wasn't able to do it today, but let's just stop at the door. And before we walk out the door, I want us to hear the Word of God. And he said, he just kept doing the same verse over and over. And that verse was this, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. And then, boom, out the door. And he said, I felt like such a failure. Because that's all I was giving my children. My plans to give them more of the Scripture every day. And all I was doing was quoting the same Scripture over and over every day. And that was it. But then when his son got ill and he couldn't get out of bed, his dad would walk in and sometimes find him frozen in a position of prayer. And then sometimes he would find him Repeating Scripture. And the Scripture he was repeating was this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Lean not on on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make your paths straight. And then he realized that while he felt like a failure, God's Word was being sown in his son's life. And it came back in the moment in which he needed it. Moms and dads, sow the Word of God in your children's lives. That's the first thing. Read it for ourselves. Read it in our families. And then, take advantage. Even though we're not a large church, we're a new church, we have a number of opportunities to study the Word of God together. We have one community group, Seaside Community Group. This year we want to open a West Side Community Group. We have our men's group. We have our women's group. Uh, we have uh, uh, in the afternoons at John Knox Village. And then we also have Sandy, who's an amazing Bible teacher. And you have a pastor who's available. And it's amazing Sometimes I'll talk to people and I'll say, 
hey, you want to get together and study the Bible? And they say, oh, I don't want to take up your time. Like, I'm a pastor. (laughs) That's what I do. I get to study the Bible and teach it to others. And any opportunity that I have to do that, I'm there. If it's one person or two persons or however many persons it might be. So, take advantage of the the opportunities that we have in our church. And do you know why we need to do that? In addition to reading it for ourselves and reading it with our family, you know why we need to do that? Because we learn from each other. I teach Bible studies, and I wrote the Bible studies. I'm the author of the Bible studies. And when I'm in those Bible studies teaching them, do you know what I do? I'm always editing them because I'm learning from the other people in the Bible study. Something that never occurred to me. Something that I never saw as many times as I went over it. We learn from each other. And the final thing is this. Prepare yourselves and your families to hear God's Word at church. Now, I preach sermons, but I also listen to sermons, and I know that they take some skills and some practice to listen to. Uh, they, they are n- not necessarily easy all the time. They, they take attentiveness. Uh, sleepiness doesn't help. So late nights don't help. Um, there are things that we can do in order to, to move ourselves into the worship service and to move our families into the worship service by prior preparation the night before. Uh, preparation by, by making sure things happen as smoothly as possible uh, that morning so that we can come in and give attention to God's Word as it's read and as it's preached publicly. And these three things, individual and family, and putting those together, group study, and then public proclamation of the Word of God, these things reinforce each other. You say, well, I don't know much about the Bible, and so I come to the sermon and I'm not getting a lot of things. Well, if you read the Bible individually, then you hear something in the sermon, you say... I heard that before. I saw that a week or so ago. And things began to click. Dots began to be connected. Connections began to be made. So the small group study reinforces the individual and the family and the public. And it all grows together. And more and more understanding like a snowball. I guess that's not a real good illustration down here. Maybe with our 60 degree cold snap, we can think about snowballs. But a snowball they, that all reinforces and it sticks to itself and it grows and grows. There is an old adage that I have found to be true over and over. And it's this. A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Jesus said something very similar to that. We already read it in our Scripture reading earlier. He said, if you take My words and you listen to them and you build your lives upon them, I'm not going to guarantee that problems won't come. In fact, problems will come. He said, but you will be like a house that's built upon the rock. The storms will come. The wind will bash against that house. The rivers will rise. But that house will stand. Why will that house stand? Because of its foundation. Because it's built upon 
the rock. But then he said, but if my words go out and you ignore them, you're going to build your house nonetheless, but you'll be building your house on the sand. And so when the storms come and the waters rise and the wind blows, your house will fall. Not because the house itself was bad, but because it was built on shifting sand. That's why falling apart Bibles tend to belong to people whose lives are not falling apart, even when everything around them is falling apart. We don't know what's coming for any of us in 2018, but I can guarantee that there will be contrary winds. I can guarantee that there will be rising tides. I can guarantee that there will be storms. But I can also guarantee that if our lives are built upon the rock, they will stand firm. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You that we have access to Your Word in so many ways. What a blessing that is for us. May we, in this coming year, build our lives upon it. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.